Section four of Widdershins by Oliver Onions. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Fantas. For barring all pother with this or the other, still Britons are lords of the main. The Chapter of Admirals. One. As Abel Keeling lay on the galleon's deck, held from rolling down it only by his own weight and the sun-blackened hand that lay outstretched upon the planks, his gaze wandered, but ever returned to the bell that hung, jammed with the dangerous heel-over of the vessel, in the small ornamental belfry immediately abaft the mainmast. The bell was of cast bronze, with half-obliterated bosses upon it that had been the heads of cherubs but wind and salt spray had given it a thick incrustation of bright beautiful lichenous green it was this colour that abel keeling's eyes liked for wherever else on the galleon his eyes rested they found only whiteness the whiteness of extreme eld there were slightly varying degrees in her whiteness here she was of a white that glistened like salt granules there of a greyish chalky white and again her whiteness had the yellowish cast of decay but everywhere it was the mild disquieting whiteness of materials out of which the life had departed her cordage was bleached as old straw is bleached and half her ropes kept their shape little more firmly than the ash of a string keeps its shape after the fire has passed her pallid timbers were white and clean as bones found in sand, and even the wild frankincense with which, for lack of tar at her last touching of land, she had been pitched, had dried to a pale hard gum that sparkled like quartz in her open seams. The sun was yet so pale a buckler of silver through the still white mists that not a cord or timber cast a shadow and only abel keeling's face and hands were black carked and cinder-black from exposure to his pitiless rays the galleon was the mary of the tower and she had a frightful list to starboard so canted was she that her mainyard dipped one of its steel sickles into the glassy water and had her foremast remained or more than the broken stump of her bonaventure mizzen she must have turned over completely many days ago they had stripped the mainyard of its course and had passed the sail under the mary's bottom in the hope that it would stop the leak this it had partly done as long as the galleon had continued to glide one way then without coming about she had begun to glide the other the ropes had parted and she had dragged the sail after her leaving a broad tarnish in the silver sea for it was broadside that the galleon glided almost imperceptibly ever sucking down she glided as if a lodestone drew her and at first abel keeling had thought it was a lodestone pulling at her iron drawing her through the pearly mists that lay like face-cloths to the water and hid at a short distance the tarnish left by the sail but later he had known that it was no lodestone drawing at her iron the motion was due must be due to the absolute deadness of the calm in that silent sinister three miles broad waterway with the eye of his mind he saw that lodestone now as he lay against a gun truck all but toppling down the deck soon that would happen again which had happened for five days past 
he would hear again the chattering of monkeys and the screaming of parrots the mat of green and yellow weeds would creep in toward the mary over the quicksilver sea once more the sheer wall of rock would rise and the men would run but no the men would not run this time to drop the fenders there were no men left to do so unless bligh was still alive perhaps bligh was still alive he had walked half-way down the quarter-deck steps a little before the sudden nightfall of the day before had then fallen and lain for a minute dead abel keeling had supposed watching him from his place by the gun-truck and had then got up again and tottered forward to the forecastle his tall figure swaying and his long arms waving abel keeling had not seen him since most likely he had died in the forecastle during the night if he had not been dead he would have come aft again for water at the remembrance of the water abel keeling lifted his head the strands of lean muscle about his emaciated mouth worked and he made a little pressure of his sun-blackened hand on the deck as if to verify its steepness and his own balance the mainmast was some seven or eight yards away he put one stiff leg under him and began seated as he was to make shuffling movements down the slope to the mainmast near the belfry was affixed his contrivance for catching water it consisted of a collar of ropes at lower at one side than at the other but that had been before the mast had steved so many degrees away from the zenith and tallowed beneath the mists lingered later in that gully of a strait than they did on the open ocean and the collar of rope served as a collector for the dews that condensed on the mast the drops fell into a small earthen pipkin placed on the deck beneath it abel keeling reached the pipkin and looked into it it was nearly a third full of fresh water good if bligh the mate was dead so much the more water for abel keeling master of the mary of the tower he dipped two fingers into the pipkin and put them into his mouth this he did several times he did not dare to raise the pipkin to his black and broken lips for dread of remembered agony he could not have told how many days ago when a devil had whispered to him and he had gulped down the contents of the pipkin in the morning and for the rest of the day had gone waterless again he moistened his fingers and sucked them then he lay sprawling against the mast idly watching the drops of water as they fell it was odd how the drops formed slowly they collected at the edge of the tallowed collar trembled in their fullness for an instant and fell another beginning the process instantly it amused abel keeling to watch them why he wondered were all the drops the same size what cause and compulsion did they obey that they never varied and what frail tenuity held the little globules intact it must be due to some cause he remembered that the aromatic gum of the wild frankincense with which they had parceled the seams had hung on the buckets in great sluggish gouts obedient to a different compulsion oil was different again and so were juices and balsams only quicksilver perhaps the heavy and motionless sea put him in mind of quicksilver seemed obedient to no law why was it so bligh of course would have had his explanation it was the hand of god 
That sufficed for Bly, who had gone forward the evening before, and whom Abel Keeling now seemed vaguely, and as at a distance, to remember, as the deep-voiced fanatic who had sung his hymns as, man by man, he had committed the bodies of the ship's company to the deep. Bly was that sort of man, accepted things without question, was content to take things as they were, and to be ready with the fenders when the wall of rock rose out of the opalescent mists. Bly, too, like the water-drops, had his law. That was his, and nobody else's. There floated down from some rotten rope up aloft a flake of scurf that settled in the pipkin. Abel Keeling watched it dully as it settled towards the pipkin's rim. When presently he again dipped his fingers into the vessel, the water ran into a little vortex, drawing the flake with it. The water settled again, and again the minute flake determined towards the rim, and adhered there, as if the rim had power to draw it. It was exactly so that the galleon was gliding toward the wall of rock, the yellow and green weeds and the monkeys and parrots. Put out into mid-water again, while there had been men to put her out, she had glided to the other wall. One force drew the chip in the pipkin, and the ship over the Trent Sea. It was the hand of God, said Bly. Abel Keeling, his mind now noting minute things, and now clouded with torpor, did not at first hear a voice that was quakingly lifted up over by the forecastle, a voice that drew nearer to an accompaniment of swirling water. O thou that Jonas in the fish three days didst keep from pain, which was a figure of thy death and rising up again it was bly singing one of his hymns o thou that noah kept from flood and abram day by day as he along through egypt past didst glide him in the way the voice ceased leaving the pious period uncompleted bly was alive at any rate Abel Keeling resumed his fitful musing. Yes, that was the law of Bly's life, to call things the hand of God. But Abel Keeling's law was different, no better, no worse, only different. The hand of God that drew chips and galleons must work by some method, and Abel Keeling's eyes were dully on the pipkin again as if he sought the method there. Then conscious thought left him for a space, and when he resumed it was without obvious connection. Oars, of course, were the thing. With oars men could laugh at calms. Oars, that only pinnaces and galleuses now used, had had their advantages. But oars, which was to say a method, for you could say, if you liked, that the hand of God grasped the oar-loom as the breath of God filled the sail, Oars were antiquated, belonged to the past, and meant a throwing over of all that was good and new, and a return to fine lines, a battle formation abreast to give effect to the shock of the ram, and a day or two at sea, and then to port again for provisions. Oars, no. Abel Keeling was one of the new men, the men who swore by the line ahead, the broadside fire of sakers and demi-cannon, and weeks and months without a landfall. Perhaps one day the wits of such men as he would devise a craft, not oar-driven, because oars could not penetrate into the remote seas of the world, not sail-driven, because men who trusted to sails found themselves in an airless three-mile strait suspended motionless between cloud and water, ever gliding to a wall of rock, but a ship, a ship. 
to noah and his sons with him god spake and thus said he a covenant said i up with you and your prosperity it was bly again wandering somewhere in the waste abel keeling's mind was once more a blank then slowly slowly as the water drops collected on the collar of rope his thought took shape again a gallius no not a gallius the gallius made shift to be two things and was neither this ship that the hand of man should one day make for the hand of god to manage should be a ship that should take and conserve the force of the wind take it and store it as she stored her victuals at rest when she wished going ahead when she wished turning the forces both of calm and storm against themselves for of course her force must be wind stored wind a bag of the winds as the children's tale had it wind probably directed upon the water astern driving it away and urging forward the ship acting by reaction she would have a wind chamber into which wind would be pumped with pumps bligh would call that equally the hand of god this driving force of the ship of the future that abel keeling dimly foreshadowed as he lay between the mainmast and the belfry turning his eyes now and then from ashy white timbers to the vivid green bronze rust of the bell above him bligh's face liver-coloured with the sun and ravaged from inwards by the faith that consumed him appeared at the head of the quarter-deck steps his voice beat uncontrolledly out and in the earth here is no place of refuge to be found nor in the deep and water-course that passeth underground two bligh's eyes were lidded as if in contemplation of his inner ecstasy his head was thrown back and his brows worked up and down tormentedly his wide mouth remained open as his hymn was suddenly interrupted on the long-drawn note from somewhere in the shimmering mists the note was taken up and there drummed and rang and reverberated through the strait a windy hoarse and dismal bellow alarming and sustained a tremor rang through bligh moving like a sightless man he stumbled forward from the head of the quarter-deck steps and abel keeling was aware of his gaunt figure behind him taller for the steepness of the deck as that vast empty sound died away, Bligh laughed in his mania. Ha! Lord, hath the grave's wide mouth a tongue to praise thee? Lo again! Again the cavernous sound possessed the air, louder and nearer. Through it came another sound, a slow throb, 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 throb. Again the sound ceased. Even Leviathan lifteth up his voice in praise, Bligh sobbed. Abel Keeling did not raise his head there had returned to him the memory of that day when before the morning mists had lifted from the strait he had emptied the pipkin of the water that was the allowance until night should fall again during that agony of thirst he had seen shapes and heard sounds with other than his mortal eyes and ears and even in the moments that had alternated with his lightness when he had known these to be hallucinations they had come again he had heard the bells on a sunday in his own kentish home the calling of children at play the unconcerned singing of men at their daily labour and the laughter and gossip of the women as they had spread the linen on the hedge or distributed bread upon the platters these voices had rung in his brain interrupted now and then by the groans of bligh and of two other men who had been alive then 
Some of the voices he had heard had been silent on this earth many a long year, but Abel Keeling, thirst-tortured, had heard them, even as he was now hearing that vacant moaning with the intermittent throbbing that filled the strait with alarm. "'Praise him! Praise him! Praise him!' Bly was calling deliriously. Then a bell seemed to sound in Abel Keeling's ears, and, as if something in the mechanism of his brain had slipped, another picture rose in his fancy, the scene when the Mary of the Tower had put out to a bravery of swinging bells and shrill fifes and valiant trumpets. She had not been a leper-white galleon then. The scroll-work on her prow had twinkled with gilding. Her belfry and stern galleries and elaborate lanterns had flashed in the sun with gold, and her fighting tops and the war pavesse about her waist had been gay with painted coats and scutcheons. To her sails had been stitched gaudy ramping lions of scarlet say, and from her main-yard, now dipping in the water, had hung the broad two-tailed pennant with the virgin and child embroidered upon it. Then suddenly a voice about him seemed to be saying, and a half-seven, and a half-seven, and in a twink the picture in Abel Keeling's brain changed again. He was at home again, instructing his son, young Abel, in the casting of the lead from the skiff they had pulled out of the harbor. And a half-seven, the boy seemed to be calling. Abel Keeling's blackened lips muttered, Excellently well cast, Abel, excellently well cast. And a half-seven, and a half-seven, seven, seven. Ah, Abel Keeling murmured, that last was not a clear cast. Give me the line. Thus it should go. Aye, so. Soon you shall sail the seas with me in the Mary of the Tower. You are already perfect in the stars and the motions of the planets. Tomorrow I will instruct you in the use of the backstaff. For a minute or two he continued to mutter. Then he dozed. When again he came to semi-consciousness it was once more to the sound of bells at first faint, then louder, and finally becoming a noisy clamor immediately above his head. It was Bly. Bly, in a fresh attack of delirium, had seized the bell lanyard and was ringing the bell insanely. The cord broke in his fingers, but he thrust at the bell with his hand and again called aloud, "'Upon an harp and an instrument of ten strings, let heaven and earth praise thy name!' He continued to call aloud, and to beat the bronze-rusted bell. "'Ship ahoy! What ship's that?' One would have said that a veritable hail had come out of the mists. But Abel Keeling knew those hails that came out of the mists. They came from ships which were not there. "'Aye, aye, keep a good lookout, and have a care to your lodemanage,' he muttered again to his son. But as sometimes a sleeper sits up in his dream, or rises from his couch and walks, so all of a sudden Abel Keeling found himself on his hands and knees on the deck, looking back over his shoulder. In some deep-seated region of his consciousness he was dimly aware that the cant of the deck had become more perilous. But his brain received the intelligence and forgot it again. He was looking out into the bright and baffling mists. The buckler of the sun was of a more ardent silver. The sea below it was lost in brilliant evaporation, and between them suspended in the haze no more substantial than the vague darknesses that float before dazzled eyes a pyramidal phantom shape hung. Abel Keeling passed his hand over his eyes, but when he removed it the shape was still there, gliding slowly toward the Mary's quarter. Its form changed as he watched it. 
the spirit-gray shape that had been a pyramid seemed to dissolve into four upright members slightly graduated in tallness that nearest the mary's stern the tallest and that to the left the lowest it might have been the shadow of the gigantic set of reed-pipes on which that vacant mournful note had been sounded and as he looked with fooled eyes again his ears became fooled ahoy there what ship's that are you a ship here give me that trumpet then a metallic barking ahoy there what devil are you didn't you ring a bell ring it again or blow a blast or something and go dead slow all this came as it were indistinctly and through a sort of high singing in abel keeling's own ears then he fancied a short bewildered laugh followed by a colloquy from somewhere between sky and sea here ward just pinch me will you tell me what you see there i want to know if i'm awake see where there on the starboard bow stop that ventilating fan i can't hear myself think see anything don't tell me it's that damned dutchman don't pinch me that old vanderdecken tale give me an easy one first something about a sea serpent you did hear that bell didn't you shut up a minute listen again bligh's voice was lifted up this is the covenant i make from henceforth nevermore will i again the world destroy with water as before bligh's voice died away again in abel keeling's ears oh my fat aunt julia the voice that seemed to come from between sea and sky sounded again then it spoke more loudly i say it began with careful politeness if you are a ship do you mind telling us where the masquerade is to be our wireless is out of order and we hadn't heard of it oh you do see it ward don't you please please tell us what the hell you are again abel keeling had moved as a sleepwalker moves he had raised himself up by the belfry timbers and bligh had sunk in a heap on the deck abel keeling's movement overturned the pipkin which raced the little trickle of its contents down the deck and lodged where the still and brimming sea made as it were a chain with the carved balustrade of the quarter-deck one link and a still gleaming edge then a dark baluster then another gleaming link for one moment only abel keeling found himself noticing that that which had driven bligh aft had been the rising of the water in the waist as the galleon settled by the head the waist was now entirely submerged then once more he was absorbed in his dream its voices and its shape in the mist which had again taken the form of a pyramid before his eyeballs of course a voice seemed to be complaining anew and still through that confused dinning in abel keeling's ears we can't turn a four inch on it and of course ward i don't believe in em do you hear ward i don't believe in em i say shall we call down to old a b this might interest his scientific skippership oh lower a boat and pull out to it into it over it through it look at our chaps crowded in the barbette yonder they've seen it better not give an order you know won't be obeyed abel keeling cramped against the antique belfry had begun to find his dream interesting for though he did not know her build that mirage was the shape of a ship no doubt it was projected from his brooding on ships of half an hour before and that was odd but perhaps after all it was not very odd he knew that she did not really exist only the appearance of her exist but things had to exist like that before they really existed before the mary of the tower had existed she had been a shape in some man's imagination 
Before that some dreamer had dreamed the form of a ship with oars, and before that, far away in the dawn and infancy of the world, some seer had seen in a vision the raft before man had ventured to push out over the water on his two planks. And since this shape that rode before Abel Keeling's eyes was a shape in his, Abel Keeling's dream, he, Abel Keeling, was the master of it. His own brooding brain had contrived her, and she was launched upon the illimitable ocean of his own mind. And I will not unmindful be of this my covenant past, Twixt me and you and every flesh, whilst that the world should last, sang Bly rapt. But as a dreamer, even in his dream, will scratch upon the wall by his couch some key or word to put him in mind of his vision on the morrow, when it has left him, so Abel Keeling found himself seeking some sign to be a proof to those to whom no vision is vouchsafed. Even Bly sought that, could not be silent in his bliss, but lay on the deck there uttering great passionate amens and praising his Maker, as he said, upon an harp and an instrument of ten strings. So with Abel Keeling. It would be the amen of his life to have praised God, not upon a harp, but upon a ship that should carry her own power, that should store wind or its equivalent as she stored her victuals, that should be something wrested from the chaos of uninvention, and ordered and disciplined and subordinated to Abel Keeling's will. And there she was, that ship-shaped thing of spirit grey, with the four pipes that resemble the phantom organ now broadside of equal length and the ghost crew of that ship were speaking again. The interrupted silver chain by the quarter-deck balustrade had now become continuous, and the balusters made a herring-bone over their own motionless reflections. The spilt water from the pipkin had dried, and the pipkin was not to be seen. Abel Keeling stood beside the mast, erect as God made man to go. With his leathery hand he smote upon the bell. He waited for the space of a minute, and then cried, ahoy ship ahoy what ship's that three we are not conscious in a dream that we are playing a game the beginning and end of which are in ourselves in this dream of abel keeling's a voice replied hallo it's found its tongue ahoy there what are you loudly and in a clear voice abel keeling called are you a ship with a nervous giggle the answer came <laughs> "'We are a ship, aren't we, Ward? I hardly feel sure. Yes, of course, we are a ship. No question about us. The question is, what the dickens you are?' Not all the words these voices used were intelligible to Abel Keeling, and he knew not what it was in the tone of these last words that reminded him of the honour due to the Mary of the Tower. Blister white, and at the end of her life, as she was, Abel Keeling was still jealous of her dignity. The voice had a youngish ring, and it was not fitting that young Chin should be wagged about his galleon. He spoke curtly. "'You that spoke, are you the master of that ship?' "'Officer of the watch,' the words floated back. "'The captain's below.' "'Then send for him. It is with masters that masters hold speech,' Abel Keeling replied. He could see the two shapes, flat and without relief, standing on a high narrow structure with rails. One of them gave a low whistle and seemed to be fanning his face, but the other rumbled something into a sort of funnel. Presently the two shapes became three. There was a murmuring as of a consultation, and then suddenly a new voice spoke. At its thrill and tone a sudden tremor ran through Abel Keeling's frame. 
he wondered what response it was that that voice found in the forgotten recesses of his memory ahoy seemed to call this new yet faintly remembered voice what's all this about listen we're his majesty's destroyer seapink out of devonport last october and nothing particular the matter with us now who are you the mary of the tower out of port of rye the day of st anne and only two men a gasp interrupted him out of where that voice that so strangely moved abel keeling said unsteadily while bligh broke into groans of renewed rapture out of the port of rye in the county of sussex nay give ear else i cannot make you hear me while this man's spirit and flesh wrestle so together ahoy are you gone for the voices had become a low murmur and the ship shape had faded before abel keeling's eyes again and again he called he wished to be informed of the disposition and economy of the wind chamber the wind chamber he called in an agony lest the knowledge almost within his grasp should be lost i would know about the wind chamber like an echo there came back the words uncomprehendingly uttered the wind chamber that driveth the vessel perchance tis not wind a steel bow that is bent also conserveth force the force you store to move at will through calm and storm can you make out what it's driving at oh we shall all wake up in a minute quiet i have it the engines it wants to know about our engines it'll be wanting to see our papers presently rye port well no harm in humouring it let's see what it can make of this ahoy there came the voice to abel keeling a little more strongly as if a shifting wind carried it and speaking faster and faster as it went on not wind but steam do you hear steam 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 and eight yarrow water tube boilers s t e a m steam got it and we've twin screw triple expansion engines indicated horsepower four thousand and we can do four hundred and thirty revolutions per minute savvy is there anything your phantom hood would like to know about our armament abel keeling was muttering fretfully to himself it annoyed him that words in his own vision should have no meaning for him how did words come to him in a dream that he had no knowledge of when wide awake the sea pink that was the name of this ship but a pink was long and narrow low-carged and square-built aft and as for our armament the voice with the tones that so profoundly troubled abel keeling's memory continued we've two revolving whitehead torpedo tubes three six-pounders on the upper deck and that's a twelve-pounder forward there by the conning tower i forgot to mention that we're nickel steel with a coal capacity of sixty tons in most damnably placed bunkers and that thirty and a quarter knots is about our top care to come aboard but the voice was speaking still more rapidly and feverishly as if to fill a silence with no matter what and the shape that was uttering it was straining forward anxiously over the rail ugh but i'm glad this is happening in the daylight another voice was muttering i wish i was sure it was happening at all poor old spook i suppose it would keep its feet if her deck was quite vertical think she'll go down or just melt kind of go down without wash listen here's the other one now for bligh was singing again for lord thou knowst our nature such if we great things obtain and in the getting of the same do feel no grief or pain we little do esteem thereof but hardly brought to pass 
a thousand times we do esteem more than the other was but oh look 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 at the other oh say wasn't he a grand old boy look for transfiguring abel keeling's form as a prophet's form is transfigured in the instant of his rapture flooding his brain with the white eureka light of perfect knowledge that for which he and his dream had been at a standstill had come he knew her this ship of the future as if god's finger had bitten her lines into his brain he knew her as those already sinking into the grave know things miraculously completely accepting life's impossibilities with a nodded of course from the ardent mouths of her eight furnaces to the last drip from her lubricators from her bed-plates to the breeches of her quick-firers he knew her read her gauges thumbed her bearings gave the ranges from her range-finders and lived the life he lived who was in command of her and he would not forget on the morrow as he had forgotten on many morrows for at last he had seen the water about his feet and knew that there would be no morrow for him in this world and even in that moment with but a sand or two to run in his glass indomitable insatiable dreaming dream on dream he could not die until he knew more he had two questions to ask and a master question and but a moment remained sharply his voice rang out ho there this ancient ship the mary of the tower cannot steam thirty and a quarter knots but she can sail the waters what more does your ship can she soar above them as the fowls of the air soar lord he thinks we're an aeroplane no she can't and can you dive even as the fishes of the deep no those are submarines we aren't a submarine but abel keeling waited for no more he gave an exulting chuckle oho oho thirty knots and but on the face of the waters no more than that oho now my ship the ship i see as a mother sees full-grown the child she has but conceived my ship i say oho my ship shall below there trip that gun the cry came suddenly and alertly as a muffled sound came from below and an ominous tremor shook the galleon by jove her guns are breaking loose below that's her finish trip that gun and double breach the others abel keeling's voice rang out as if there had been any to obey him he had braced himself within the belfry frame and then in the middle of the next order his voice suddenly failed him his ship shape that for the moment he had forgotten rode once more before his eyes this was the end and his master question apprehension for the answer to which was now torturing his face and well-nigh bursting his heart was still unasked ho he that spoke with me the master he cried in a voice that ran high is he there yes yes came the other voice across the water sick with suspense oh be quick there was a moment in which hoarse cries from many voices a heavy thud and a rumble on wood and a crash of timbers and a gurgle and a splash were indescribably mingled the gun under which abel keeling had lain had snapped her rotten breechings and plunged down the deck carrying bligh's unconscious form with it the deck came up vertical and for one instant longer abel keeling clung to the belfry i cannot see your face he screamed but meseems your voice is a voice i know what is your name in a torn sob the answer came across the water keeling abel keeling oh my god and abel keeling's cry of triumph that mounted to a victorious huzzah was lost in the downward plunge of the mary of the tower that left the strait empty save for the sun's fiery blaze in the last smoke-like evaporation of the mists
End of Phantas Read by Don W. Jenkins Rancho San Diego, California Shaggybark.blogspot.com